Uh, so today I have with me Mr. Bill Swiker. Hi. Uh, he has been working in Alabama on several features, and he's been working outside of the state on several features. And he's um, what, what's the most recent film festival you you won? Uh, you placed in for the documentary uh, Goomba? Goomba. Yes, uh, that was the. Um, uh, hang on, let me look it up here. Um, it's a, a documentary I shot up in Buffalo, New York, the Spotlight Documentary Film Awards. It's a, a filmmakers up there that I work with, I've been working with for years, uh, David Williams and Aaron Krieger. Uh, we've done several narrative features, and this was our first documentary style feature with a uh, young woman, a filmmaker from Mexico City, who came up and worked with us. So explain to me the the genesis of this project. What... What was the thing that kicked uh, off? David Williams is an interesting character. He's the director that I work with a lot, and uh, we've done several features with him that are almost uh, improv style. He has the outline for a story, uh, and they, he gives the actors uh, um, the basis, the motivation for their characters, and lets them go. And I follow him around with a black magic pocket on a steady cam and hope hope that I capture everything. Uh, and Gumbas was a, a similar kind of thing. He David's a boxing fan. He he boxes himself, and uh, there's a uh, the the gym in Buffalo, New York. Gumbas, except for the jam box that's uh, in the excuse me in the um, the room, it could be 1929. It's in an old building in Buffalo, New York, of which there are a lot of them, uh, and nothing in the room is modern. And uh, they, they did they they teach boxing. Uh, uh, not as a lifestyle, but more as a, uh, um, as a, as a health, um, there were people in there that were brain surgeons as a, as a way to, to mental health and physical health, not just to sport. Uh, and so David thought, oh, this is fascinating. So we went up there and spent uh, a week, uh, interviewing people, uh, in all sorts of people. There was, uh, uh, there were transgender boxing trainers. There was a guy there with a debilitating nerve disease, uh, who boxed to, to you know to, to to try and slow down his disease? Uh, like I said, there was a brain surgeon. Uh, it was uh, and it was ninety six degrees, and there's no air conditioning in Buffalo. So I was a little more used to it than they were, but everybody was pretty miserable. It was on the third floor. We had to haul everything up three flights of stairs. So what was the the shooting timeline like? Uh, I imagine since it's documentary, you probably had at least a year following his people. No, around. this this was a very short documentary. Uh, we shot for actually about a week and a half. Uh, yeah, it wow. was, it, like I say, it was very, and, and they, uh, they had a real specific, um, storyline in, in place to begin with, of course. And so we interviewed uh, the, the, a lot of the, the people there at, at Goombas, uh, and, uh, it went very quickly because, uh, and I, I think mainly because the David had a, a really firm grasp on how he wanted to put it together ahead of time. We shot that on the on the the Red Dragon and the uh the Panasonic GH5 and the Black Magic Pocket. So we had a lot a lot of cameras going. Okay. Uh if you don't mind, I'd like to take this moment now to kind of roll back to the beginning of your career. Okay. So, if you don't mind, could you explain how you got started as a cinematographer and how you got started in the Sure. Uh, it, it wasn't by design. Uh, I'd always been a, a fascinated with art and comic books. Uh, I was a big comic book uh, nerd when I was a kid. Uh, and uh, during a uh, one summer in college, uh, I worked on a movie, uh, Secret of the Phantom Caverns, which, which was being shot uh, in the Huntsville area. And uh, 
uh, I worked on that and I went, wow, this is a lot more interesting than, than uh, I, I could ever imagine. And there was a uh, production company in town, Kudzu Productions, that did a lot of uh, military training films and other films. So I started working with them uh, and learned uh, the, the nuts and bolts of the filmmaking trade, mainly from Landon McCrary and John Taylor and Charlie Burris at, at Kudzu Productions. Um, and um, worked in the lighting department for a long time before picking up a camera to, to, to be a, a DP. Um, I shot my first feature as DP, I guess, about 12 years ago. Uh, and then I've done 25 since then, 25, 26. Some of them I probably don't really want to count. <laughs> and they, uh, the, the red one was uh, a revolutionary uh, piece of technology that um, changed my um, approach to work uh, and workflow because you know up until that point in time, you either had video or film. Video, of course, at, at that time looked like video. Film, of course, was is staggeringly expensive. Uh, the whole process, not just the film itself. So when the Red One came out, I became associated with a group called the Dead Workers Party in Huntsville, and they brought me in as their cinematographer. And uh, I've shot a lot of movies on the Red. We went from the Red One to the Epic, and now the Dragon and the Weapon. And Red has grown up as a company and makes a camera now that's that's a lot more like a camera and a lot less like a computer. Uh, that makes really great images. I just uh, finished a Civil War uh, feature called Union, worked with Whitney Hamilton, who uh, lives in New York, originally from Alabama, uh, and we spent five years shooting that with the Red uh, Dragon uh, using a really, really old, uh, really funky Russian Lomo lenses. And the look of that film is, is kind of remarkable, and that, that's on the film festival circuit right now. So, so uh, yeah, I got the long way around all that. I started out in the lighting department. Uh, I was always a still photographer. I, I did some of that, but then the the um, the idea of motion was always captivating to me, and I did a lot of theater work when I was younger. So the combination of theater and comic books and art uh, and cinematography uh, made perfect sense to me uh, to be able to to translate uh, in my mind a story into into motion into three D space. Uh, because comic books are essentially storyboards, uh, and I'm a huge fan of, of Jack Kirby, who uh, does an amazing job of 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 conveying motion uh, in a still frame. So, could you explain to me a bit about your mentality behind how you frame shots and light them? What is what is your style? What is your signature? Well, uh, <laughs> my signature is being able to, to make a movie that looks like a movie without spending a staggering amount of money, which probably isn't the best thing for my career. <laughs> uh, what, 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 what I have gotten really good at um, is um, evaluating the space, because as I uh, half-jokingly, I shouldn't say not jokingly, tell directors and producers, it is all a matter of time and money. Yes, we can do underwater IMAX. Do you have the budget for that? I worked with Graham Ferguson, the inventor of IMAX, and and worked with him on an underwater IMAX shoot. So I'm not I'm not exaggerating that. That was with uh, Kudzu Productions. Um, but uh, what I'm able to do is is very quickly evaluate the resources at hand, um, uh, and and um, convey what th that part of the story. And that gets back to the uh, the the, the comic book or the, the art aspect of, of storytelling is what's the point of this scene? And that's what I try and tell people or ask people rather. I work with a lot of first time directors. What, what are we trying to do in the scene? Are these people happy? Are they desperate? Are they sad? Are they anxious? What's what, 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 what is the, uh, 
overarching emotion uh, feel of the scene. And that I and I tend to do a lot of horror movies, um, and uh, I also uh, tend to expose to the right with digital to to keep noise down because the red makes wonderful images, but it's a noisy camera. So I try and and do that so that in the color grade we can bring it down. I work with uh, Lou Simon is a, a a great filmmaker. She's made five horror films, and I've had the privilege of shooting two of them. Uh, and she understands the color grade uh, and how to um, uh, bring the drama up in the scene uh, by by lighting it. So my yeah, so my uh, my style is really not uh, any one kind of style. It's more I think I'm I'm suited to the to the director's um, idea for the story, their vision, I should say. I'm also a big fan of crazy lenses, uh, atypical lenses, I should say. I've got a, a set of modern cinema lenses for the red, and I've got uh, the red red lenses for the red, and I've got Vedra Cinema Primes for the pocket, which are, are wonderful, wonderful lenses. Uh, but I've also got uh, old Russian and German lenses that have very unusual looks, the Lomos that I used um, on Union, and I've got uh, uh, East German lenses from the 50s, uh, which have a really unusual look that I used on a documentary that was uh, invited to the Cannes Film Festival, the New Orleans Sazerac. Uh, because no matter what effect you put on the um, um, the image after it's it's captured, uh, nowadays with digital is so so clinical and crisp and clean, the lens really 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 um, adds a character to the shot that you can't get any other way. And these are lenses that I never thought I would use um, on on projects uh, uh, because in in the olden days you you always wanted the best glass that you could possibly get. Now with 4K and 6K and 8K. Uh, we're trying to degrade the image in a way that suits the story. Uh, and that's what, uh, that's, that's, I guess, one of my signature looks is being able to work with that, that uh, crazy old glass. I'm also a big fan of the lens baby. I've used the mm. lens baby on several projects uh, and you have to have to be careful with that. It's like spice and food. You don't want to overdo it. Have you played around at all with the Helios 442? Yes, I've, I've uh, got one actually. Okay. Nice lens. Yeah. It's one of my favorite for just crazy out there bokeh and like weird yeah. compositions. Uh, yes, yes, the, the, yeah, the, the bokeh in that lens is something. And the um, the Meyer Gorlitz trial plans are my East German lenses. Mm-hmm. The the East Germans realized they couldn't compete with the West technologically, so they they went backwards. Uh, they added more air gaps and and it, those lenses. In fact, they put the lenses back into production for a short time mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, they're still lenses, but they they have a look that's uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. I'd like to talk a bit about Kudzu Productions and then maybe transition into talking about the current situation in Alabama in terms of production. Sure, if you don't mind. sure. What, whatever happened with Kudzu? Uh, they're still around. Uh, in fact, I just did a political shoot with them uh, a few weeks ago, okay. or I guess a few months ago. I'm sorry, my, my sense of time gets skewed since I've been around so long. Um, yeah, they do great work. Um, uh, they do, they shot a lot of film and now they shoot uh, digital. And, uh, and they shoot with uh, uh, Airy Alexas and the Sony FS7, and uh, Mac likes Cook glass. He likes Zeiss glass. He's one of the uh, one of those guys that uh, uh, is also is really good at at, at uh, sorting, uh, matching up the machinery for the task. Excuse me. Okay. So where are they located at? They're in Huntsville, Alabama. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so used to like everything being near the Birmingham area, which is why maybe I'm not familiar right. Yeah, with them. and and see, I didn't um um, uh, I didn't really crack the Birmingham market 
uh, for some time, uh, it wasn't until after my, my actually indie world, I came in, I worked with David Brower, who's a really great DP, uh, Chris Hillicky, uh, is a super, super good guy. Uh, Bear Prater is super good. There are a lot of just, it's, it's such a competitive business. Um, and there are so many people that are good at it. Everyone's got the different, different strengths. And I think mostly it's a, it's a personality match. Uh, do you, do you work well with, or, or rather would work well, isn't the, the good way to put it. Do you mesh with this person, uh, in, in your way of approaching this project or that project? Um, worked with a lot of folks in Birmingham on a union, the civil war project that we did over five years, um, that had a mainly Birmingham crew. And then feature wise, there are a lot more features. I've, I've been saying this forever that, that, uh, uh, Birmingham looks like uh, certain parts of New York City did in the 20s. I've been uh, visiting New York uh, since I was a kid. I'm from western uh, upstate New York originally. Um, and uh, Birmingham's a very fr film-friendly city. Uh, and there are a lot of lot of places that you can shoot there to get a lot of amazing different looks. And uh, producers apparently are, are starting to, to uh, take note of it. We still can't compete with the um, film incentives of Georgia, but our incentives program are pretty good. Tommy Fell and the, the folks at the film office uh, do a great job of coordinating uh, out-of-town producers coming in and doing work. Now, on the topic of Birmingham, I've actually heard people refer to Birmingham as the Vancouver of the South, because if you yep. frame it right, you can make it look like any yeah, city. Yeah, they're right, because there, there are mountains there. There are heavy industrial areas. There are modern corporate areas, uh, busy downtown streets laid out in a grid. Uh, yeah, it's you've got you know a pretty sizable uh, water waterfronts there. So um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of kind of unusual, and and the fact that there are are hills, uh, some pretty pretty steep hills, gives it a, a great look. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Vancouver of the South. I like it. So, um, the state overall, not, I mean, we, we occasionally have products and projects come to Alabama from outside sources, but there's still not that much going on that is produced and shot and finished in Alabama itself. Um, but I feel like that might be changing slightly. We're seeing a few more come up. Um, whenever I was in college, uh, I, I, graduated back in 2016 from the University of Alabama, there was a lot of talk among mm -hmm. the students about trying to do a big push to get, you know, indie features made in Alabama using crew in the state. Um, do you have any perspective on that? Yes. Uh, it's all about money. Uh, the film incentives that the state has designed don't help out the smallest indies and aren't big enough for the bigger features. The, uh, Georgia mm. has uh, their incentives are the only incentives in the state in the state in the country that pay um, pay back above the line. So if you hire an actor for three million dollars, okay. they get money back. When Louisiana shut down their incentives, the next day offices were closed. So it's 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 a mindset towards commerce that has more to do with it than anything else. Because the crew base, the crew is going to come to where the work is. That's why I shoot movies in New York State and Florida and Georgia. That's where the, that's where that's where the work is. Uh, that will happen very quickly. But the the if you want things to change, uh, lobby your state government to make the incentives more okay. uh, more appealing for people. I shot I worked on a film in North Carolina, which was one of the first states to have incentives to try and lure people away from L.A. to Wilmington, and this was 25 years ago. Uh, it worked. Uh, that's when the incentive, and it's it's just like 
not just like, it's very similar to getting a Volkswagen plant or a Mercedes plant or a Toyota plant, make it, make it work, make the money aspect of it work. But in the, with the film incentives, you have to, they, a lot of people tell the $50 broom story. Uh, it was uh, Iowa or Michigan, a state up in that part of the world had incentives and people were charging $50 a day to rent brooms. And so the, the, mm. someone got wind of that and they shut the whole thing down. Of course, it's, it's, it's very, very easy to abuse uh, that kind of system. So, you know, the, the people uh, have to be on guard against that kind of abuse. But if you want more projects to come to the state uh, and to stay in the state, uh, it's got to have, uh, it's got to be financially viable. And the only way to do that is uh, to change the incentive program to make it so that it'll work because there are in Birmingham, there are a lot of very, very competent uh, audio and visual post houses uh, and people that, that can do uh, work at, at any level. Uh, it's just a matter of getting that work to come to, you know, to the state. I'm, I'm a big fan of outpost and Lewis communication from everything yes. I've seen. So I, I kind of know what you yeah. mean about Birmingham yeah. being very competent. Yes. Post. Outpost did the color grade on union and they did an amazing job because that film was shot on, half a dozen different cameras, uh, black magics, uh, the GH four, I think, uh, as well as the red, mostly with the red dragon, but, but Whitney and, and Patrick, her husband had, have their own black magic and their own set of Lomos and they shot footage and the people at outpost did a great job. And at one point, <laughs> Whitney was, they were looking at the footage and the, the colorist said, do you want me to sharpen this footage up a little bit? And she said, no, 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 no. We worked really hard at making this, you know, look old and funky and soft. Um, so, yeah, they the uh, really good folks at Outpost. Speaking about post production and, and color grade, I'm going to kind of shift the conversation to the side a second. Have you done much with Aces at all? Like Aces Color Space? I have not. Uh, I've read about it, but I have not uh, done anything with that yet. I, I at the budget levels that I work at on the features. Um, I have to keep things in the, the post workflow very, very, very simple, so that uh, the so that no harm will be done to the images. That's <laughs> a better way to put it. Um, it's great to work with um, people like Lou Simon and Whitney Hamilton that understand how crucial that step is in the process. Uh, but there are some people that um, where the budget doesn't exist, so I have to uh, be careful about guarding the image. Uh, as much as much as I can. Okay, because that's that's one of the things I've been trying to do is is like do educational work about uh, Aces color grading and Academy color space because essentially it does what you're you're saying that you want. Right. It's, it's WYSIWYG. What you see is what you yep. get. Um, the idea is to kind of take a lot of the control away from the colorist while still allowing them if they want the control, but make it so that. When you ingest the footage, you choose, you know, the manufacturer settings, you choose your working space, and then you choose your output space. And then from there, it should match up with how you monitored, assuming you monitored with the same spaces. Right. And the, um, my experience with ACES so far is when producers hear that, what they hear is we want to spend a lot of money. Oh, and I okay. don't have a, a quick argument to diffuse that right now. Uh, I, I, I'm sure it'll get there. Uh, I just, um, uh, perhaps I'm not clever enough to uh, to make that argument <laughs> to the producers in that way, but I need to read more. It's it's fine. Uh, okay, so 
I guess the the big question I have now is what do you think is next for you now that Goomba's finished? Do you have any projects that are currently in pre-production that you can oh, talk yeah, about? Oh yeah, I've got or? I've got four features lined up this year. I've got um, uh, a, a screwball comedy in Florida that I'm going to shoot on the Black Magic Pocket. It's a producer I've worked with before, um, and that's going to be a fun shoot. Uh, they're they're nice people to work with. Their food is good. Um, and, and that makes a big difference on these low, low budgets. I'm doing another, um, um, it's a, a Blair Witch style horror film, uh, in my old hometown in upstate New York with David Williams. Uh, oddly enough, I worked with Josh Leonard on the first feature as DP on, who was one of the leads in, in Blair Witch, but it's with the same, uh, actress, uh, Jillian Gertz, who's been in a couple of our, our art house films that we do in Buffalo, uh, Algebra of Need and Geometry of Desire. And it's going to be um, uh, several people in the woods um, and, and they're, they're slowly losing their minds. Uh, uh, and, and there may or may not be uh, supernatural, malevolent forces at play. But uh, that's going to be fun. That's going to be in September in upstate New York. I'm shooting an, uh, a, f- a feature in Buffalo, New York with um, a director out of L.A. I'm not supposed to mention any names. But that's that, that was a surprise project that came w- from a writer friend of mine in that part of the world. And then um, Charlie and Cindy White are producing a feature in North Alabama called The Art Collector based on a short uh, they, that I shot with them several years ago. Uh, and that will be a lot of fun because it's with a lot of people that I've worked with. So uh, I'm super fortunate um, to have that many. And half of those features are pocket. Half of those are red because it's all budget dependent. Um, so that'll be uh, that, that's what I've got lined up so far. Um, hopefully I'll get some more lined up. Okay. Is there anything, uh, any one thing or topic that I, that I need to hit harder or that I, you know, that you want to, talk more about um i guess the thing that i would like to talk more about but i'm not sure how to phrase questions for is uh, just in-state stuff you know people right. who are looking in alabama you know what is going on in the state uh the film incentives how they could change what makes them you know bad now versus what atlanta has yeah and see i'm not i'm not really uh, up to speed uh with the with, with the incentives because i was in, involved uh with the incentives 10 years ago uh, try, t- talking okay. to the, the state, uh, some state legislators ab- about all of that, but I'm not I'm not uh, up to speed on that, uh, probably like I should be. But the, the the one thing to that is good about the state is that there there is a big base of crew here now, uh, uh, enough crew that if oh no, uh, uh, somebody one one person's busy, well they know another person that could fill in. Uh, but all across the spectrum, from from scripty to um, hair and makeup to uh, first ads, were a little lacking in. But but the technical side, gaffers mm. and grips and uh, sound, uh, yeah, the, the the Burns brothers. There's a lot of good sound people, uh, especially in Birmingham. That's of course where the most production is uh, centered. And and then Mobile's got a big uh, indie film scene as well. So they're the the, the crew base is is a t- totally different world than from what it was 15 to 20 years ago. One of the questions that I do have that I want your interpretation of this may not even go in the podcast cause it's such a sure. subjective thing, but um, do you think the perspective that the state has on the film incentives may be a self fulfilling cycle that 
because there's no film incentives, there's no business. Therefore, I, they don't. See I the think value that's exactly it. right, and and also uh, more to a point, um, and and this is a a pretty common perception of the film industry is that a lot of people don't look at it as as a business the way you'd look at a Toyota plant as a as a business, and Toyota plant's not a not a fair comparison because it, it's so big. People look at it like it's almost like the state fair or a circus where, you know, they come into town and do something mm. and leave. And then they, they, they are right in some regards. It is. However, the difference is when a film comes into the state, they hire local people to do everything. Most things, not everything, of course. So it's it's employment for local folks. And that's that's one of the comments I heard from a, a state legislator was, well, we don't want to give put money in, in the pockets of, of California people. And it's like, well... The incentive is for guys like people like me that are just a, a work a working Joe trying to trying to make it in the state um, in the, in the film business. So it, it's a the perception of it is very different. And I I think I hope that what's going on in, in Georgia is changing a lot of that because what people see is um, employment, people working, and mm-hmm. it's uh, you know it's it, it's it's blue collar art. You know, I'm out there lifting heavy things to make th- something that could arguably be called art. That's, of course, a bit of a stretch, but um, it's it's a perception. It's and and the right now the state film incentives start at half a million dollars. Well, that doesn't do uh, uh, filmmakers any good that are making a movie for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So they'll go to other states to do that. I went went to uh, I shot in Tennessee uh, a movie um, a couple of years ago. Uh, we shot in Chattanooga because the incentive worked at, at the budget level we were working at that wouldn't have worked in Alabama. So it's, it's mm-hmm. commerce. It's, it's show business. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it, and um, until the, something like a state incentive uh, is, is more flexible to the lower budget projects, uh, they will go elsewhere. The West, you know, Western mm-hmm. New York state has incentives uh, that's one of the reasons we're shooting uh, two projects in Western New York State, because they're they're trying to develop the this the film industry there. The gist of what I'm taking away from everything you just said is that a lot of it is perspective based. Everybody thinks of filmmaking; right. they immediately think of Hollywood. Right. I mean, even I do that a lot. Um, but even in Los Angeles, even dealing with the studio, the majority of people there who are working on it are under the line. They're right. they're blue collar jobs. These are people who are very specialized blue collar jobs, but it's still a trade more than anything else. Right. And exactly. so it's, it, that's a perspective that I think is lost on a lot of people. They, they think of the directors and the actors, but they don't necessarily think of the people who do all the work. Right. And well, that, that's, that's, it's normal and natural is that, is that what's the, the SAG number? 2% of SAG actors make a living acting. Nine, yeah, 98% like don't. Uh, and all, what we hear about are, are you know, is Sandra Bullock. She's the top of the top of the top. And also what we hear about are, are 50 and 100 and 200 million dollar movies. Well, most movies aren't, aren't, aren't like that. Most movies don't have Sandra Bullock in them. So it's and, and, and that perception goes to uh, people think that if you're making a movie, you have a lot of money. Well, most people that make movies don't have a lot of money. So um, I, I don't know how to, to, to change the, the mindset about, uh, you know, uh, uh, and when I say mindset, I mean mindset of of the uh, lawmakers writing these laws about uh, the incentives package, because it would be wonderful if people working at a lower budget level could get a bit of a break. Hmm. 
Well, I guess that's kind of part of what the the goal of this podcast is, is to at right. least have a place where information is available for people who want it. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, and, well, that, and, to, and to that end, uh, yeah, contact uh, Tommy Fell and the, the good folks at the Alabama uh, film office. Uh, they've been fielding these questions for decades. Uh, and, hmm. and they know, um, they, they, they have a much more uh, informed response than, than I do. Okay. Yeah. Well, still, thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for taking the initiative to make it happen. All right. Well, I guess that's it. All right, folks, that does it for my interview with Mr. Bill Swikert. Um, I hope to have episode two out sometime within the next week or so. Thank you.